Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, take your notes out. We are in week six. And we got two, uh, no, wait, we're week seven. We have two more weekends to go, uh, and we're working our way through the entire book of Colossians. How many of you have enjoyed a deeper dive in a longer passage of Scripture? This is your moment. Even even if it's not true, raise your hand. I want to feel good about it. And uh, how many of you feel like in this deal, our goal has been to uh, help you do the Bible better so you could do the Bible better? How many of you feel like that's happening a little bit? You're growing. How many of you don't know what we're talking about? How many of you don't care? That's good. (laughs) And uh, so here's the goal when I think about this. This is across this series. Um, Our goal in the last, over these last six weeks, has uh, been to help you see fresh and new ways the power and the relevance and the wisdom that comes from understanding God's word. And uh, I think about this, you know, I, I was thinking earlier this week, our goal in this space, we try to take 35 minutes, that's my assignment every weekend I'm here, 35 minutes or so to, to engage with God's word. And here's the goal, I'll give you a little secret. Our goal is not that you become a Bible scholar. That's actually not the goal of this exercise. Our goal is not that you learn and win Bible trivia when you play that. That's, that's not the goal. Here's, here's the goal. I want you to think about this. Maybe you want to write this down. All of you right now, even listening online, you're building your life on some foundation. That's what you're doing. Uh, and I think, really, we do this in conscious ways and we do this in unconscious ways. You are, you are building your life on something. And I think every now and again, what's, what's good to do is take a moment and maybe evaluate, maybe examine, is the idea is what you're building your life on, uh, is, it, is it viable and is it powerful enough to support you when circumstances in life come your way? Uh, I think this is really important. Years ago, a couple years ago, I should say, um, uh, we have we have a neighborhood. We have a high challenge neighborhood, and in my neighborhood, uh, when it gets to be you know uh, right after Thanksgiving, all the Christmas lights go up. We're moving into the holiday season. How many of you are like, I can't believe that, right? Uh, I was I was telling the people at nine o'clock. I was in Home Depot this week. They had the Easter decorations out. <laughs> Come on, y'all. That was way funnier at nine o'clock. And, uh, you know, we, we just get into this thing. And, and uh, I was putting up decorations, uh, some of you know this, a couple years ago on the outside of my house the day after Thanksgiving. And I put a ladder up, and I want to show you. There's a picture of my house. Uh, here's the picture. If you don't see the ladder, that sinister ladder, there it is. Does it look sturdy? Yes. Does it look so- like it'll support you? Yes. But what I didn't know is there was a big hole under the front right of that ladder, and it was an introduction, actually, to a brand-new ACL. Uh, and so here's the thing, foundations sometimes look great, but they're, they're not great. And I've learned as a, a pastor, I'm a studier of human dynamics. That's what pastors are. We kind of study. Uh, I'm a people watcher. Any people watchers in the room? I've learned some things in three decades of ministry. Number one, people are really weird. <laughs> no, number, number two, a lot of us, uh, we go through life and we just collect a bunch of religious garbage Okay? And we put it in a bucket, and then life happens, 
And we take it out of the bucket or take it out of the drawer and we, we, we put it on, see if it fits. And sometimes it doesn't. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, uh, you know, we just collect this. I was talking to a friend recently and he said to me, he goes, there's a lot of weird sayings out in our culture, sort of embedded in our culture. I thought about this. Here's one I heard recently. You probably heard this. If you love someone, set them free. If they return, it was meant to be. If they don't, it was ne- they were never yours to keep. What does that actually mean? I had a friend, I had a woman in my life who used to say this every now and again when something would happen. She'd go, que sera, sera. I, I don't know what that means. Anybody know what that means? No, no, who knows? Okay, let's go on. Uh, everything happens for a reason. Does everything happen for a reason? Sometimes the reason is you're an idiot. Stuff happens. I had a friend when I was in my doctoral program, uh, we were all married except one guy. And he was this really, I mean, he was this buff, good looking dude. We could never figure out why Wynn was not married. And then one day he made the statement, we went, we know why you're not married. <laughs> we have figured it out. And he said this, you guys, no joke. He said, I live by the motto. You, you guys know the motto. We were like, what's the motto? He goes, I live by the motto. Love means never having to say you're sorry. I went, man, you ain't never been in my house. (laughs) This is what we do. I mean, it's like that old, remember that old show, as sand through the hourglass, so are the days, right? I mean, right? It's weird. Okay, knock that off. We just pick up religious junk, and then life happens. Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus said something about a foundation. And one day when he was pressed on this in the Gospel of Matthew, I want to read it to you. He said this, Everyone who hears words like mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on a rock. And the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it didn't fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who's built their house on sand. And the rains come down and the streams will rise and the winds will blow and beat against the house and it will fall with a great crash. And every now and again, what I, I get called to sit and be introduced into circumstances where there's been a crash. And more often than not, when you pick through all the rubble of that, you know what you, know what you unearth a lot of times? You unearth it, they were people are building on a false foundation, and then stuff happens. So I just want to say as kind of a preemptor to what we're going to move into in these next few moments, this is not an exercise in Bible trivia. It is not an exercise in scholarly kind of behavior. What it is, it's an exercise in gauging your foundation. And every time you come in here and listen, you should you should take just a moment and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to make myself available to you. Will, Will you test by your spirit, the foundation that I'm building my life upon, that it is the right foundation, because this is really so important. And so that's what we've been doing over and over again. I, I think sometimes some of us are here and, and we're saying like we're saying this, our foundation's been exposed. Can we build again? I want to say yes. Can I start over? Yes. Can I start now? Yes. Can my faith grow? Yes. But lean into this space right here. Amen. Let me say it again. Lean into the space. Amen? Amen. 
great. Now, what I want to do this morning, I want to, I want to turn our minds and our hearts to a passage of Scripture that, to be honest with you, is the most universally misunderstood and misrepresented passage of Scripture in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to read it, and I think I was sharing with you a few weeks ago that because we're motoring through a book, we're going to, you know, it, it's going to force us to deal with some topics uh, that we might not uh, normally deal with. This is not a very popular passage to preach on, and, uh, and so we're going to go right at it, and uh, we're going we're gonna to come at this as students, and this is what I think. I think there's a word in this for every single one of us. In fact, I'm convinced of it. In fact, I've already preached this twice, so I know it's true. Okay, And I want to read this uh, to you this morning, and it's going to be abrupt and kind of weird. All right, we're just going to say it. So I'm going to pick up Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Here's how it reads. Wives. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not as for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Wow. Let's pray. You know, God, uh, we're going to need you. We're going to need you in the space uh, to do what only you can do, uh, which is illuminate truth and guide us into a deeper understanding of your word. We invite you to come by the power of your spirit and do just that. For we pray together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, When Trevor and I were working on this series and this verse came up, Trevor said, I'm out, you're in, go for it. (laughs) And uh, this is a challenging passage of Scripture. I want to say a few things as we start. Uh, As I've already said, if you're taking notes, probably the most universally misunderstood, misrepresented passage of Scripture in all the Bible. It's been used to subjugate women, put women in this weird spot. Uh, it's been used to support slavery, and that the Bible supports slavery. It, it, is a, it is a passage of Scripture that most people who don't understand what we're doing in this space, who are not self-identified as Christ followers, will point to this passage of Scripture, this very passage of Scripture, and say, this is why it's harmful to read the Bible. Maybe you've had it thrown at you. I've had it thrown at me. And to be honest with you guys, this is a passage I love to preach from. Uh, because it tees up what I think is a wonderful conversation that all of us need to have about relationships. 
Uh, I remember, but it's, but it's awkward and it's weird. I, I remember a friend of mine who was a mentor to me. His name was Bill Henson. He was a great communicator. In fact, early in my ministry, I would watch the way he would just handle the Word of God with such diligence and with such creativity. And I can remember, honestly, y'all praying and saying, Lord, if, if you're going to use me in ministry at all, I would love to be able to learn how to communicate like that man of God communicated. One, and, and Bill tells this wonderful story that one day he was invited on the invitation of one of his friends to fly across the country. He lived in Houston to preach at an evening service that was very important in the life and ministry of this church, his, uh, his friend's church. And he said, I had done the three services at, at, at First Church Houston. And he said, I got on a plane, lumbered my way across the United States. He said, I got there to preach at night. And he said, I just kind of, and it was a greeting before the, the sermon and before the message. He said, I kind of wedged myself up into the corner so I wouldn't fall over. I was dead tired and I greeted people. Then we went into the service. And he said, uh, right before I got to preach, uh, he said, this, this, uh, the choir got up to sing and they were awful. I mean, they weren't just a little bad. They were like really, really bad. And he said, right, right as the, the, the choir is crescendoing in this really off-tune sort of uh, song, he said, my friend who had given me the invitation leaned over to me as the final notes are fading out. And he said, huh, let's see if you can preach after that. And, and I think about this when we look at a verse of Scripture like this. There's so much going on, and we bring a lot of power and emotion into it. And, and here's what I want to do in my space. First of all, I want us to zoom in, and then we're going to zoom out, and then we're going to zoom in back again. And, and if you're taking notes, here's what I want us to think about. Let's zoom out. Here's the first thing I would say. All relationships come with preset expectations. This is universally true. All relationships come with preset expectations. And because Paul is starting with uh, marriage, uh, I want to start with marriage. Uh, when we get married, think of it this way, and, and, and I'm going to move this beyond marriage, but I want to start uh, where Paul starts. And so when, when I think about marriage, uh, when many of us get married, we bring those expectations that we have into that relationship with our spouse. We just do. But when relation, when it starts, the expectations we have are not really so much to us. They don't feel like expectations. They, they feel like hopes and desires. So we bring our hopes and desires. I, I, I think of it this way. Maybe some of y'all will agree that when, um, when I was thinking about somebody I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, I wasn't dreaming about becoming the perfect person for someone I was dreaming about finding the perfect person for me, right? And so when I met Beth, I, I, this, I'm embarrassed to even share this, and, and, and we fell in love, and there's this moment when I was thinking about proposing to her. I remember taking a long walk at seminary, and, and I was, I'm ashamed to say this, I was checking off the mental list <laughs> that I had around her meeting all of my expectations, and so when I showed up for the big day, here's the thing. I brought her ring and my box to the wedding. And then it's interesting because then when Beth came, uh, Beth came to that day, this is what I know. Beth brought my ring and her box to the wedding. But when Beth handed me her box 
filled with all those expectations. It was hopes and dreams for her. Something shifted in that moment, and it felt heavy. (laughs) Really heavy. And all relationships carry this dynamic. It's what we do. In fact, just to go on with the illustration just a moment, I often tell young couples when I'm working with them and they're in, in premarital work and all that, I, I, I look to the guy and I say, now imagine on that day when I walk you in, and that's what I do, I'm going to walk you in, you're going to be flanked by all your best men, you're going to be wearing a tux, you're going to look fantastic, and uh, imagine there's all these boxes around you. They're all your expectations They're all that you're bringing. And then imagine there's this moment when the door opens and in, that, in walks that beautiful bride. She's wearing a dress she may never, ever wear again. She's looking better than she will ever, ever look again. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're with me. And she's bringing all this luggage down the center aisle. And the challenge in a marriage relationship, as with all relationships, is to open the boxes, open the bags, take everything out, and right-size all of the expectations. The first thing I would want everybody to know in this room is this this is exactly what Paul is, is beginning to move us into. All relationships come with preset expectations. And this is, if you're taking notes, that I would also want you to, I would also want us to think about this. Preset expectations often create unholy relationships. When we, when we move into this space and we have these expectations and we don't get these expectations ironed out in the right way, and they might be things that our culture puts on us, or they might be things that we kind of bake into uh, over time. If we, don't, if we don't get that right, here's the, here's the thing. We're going to mess a lot of stuff up. And I, I, I got to say this, too. A couple of weeks ago when we did our marriage uh, weekend, I shared this story. But you know, after Beth and I got married, uh, we did our honeymoon in Florida. Now, people fly from all over the world to do their honeymoon in Florida, so there's nothing wrong with that. But our honeymoon, quite honestly, was awful. And the reason it was awful is here's what, here's what I did. I took my beautiful new bride on her honeymoon, and I drove her all around Florida. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I, I showed her every place we lived growing up. I told her every, showed her all of that stuff. I told her everything I liked about Florida. And I just gave her all of my expectations. By about the fourth day on our honeymoon, we weren't even speaking to one another. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, be honest with you, it took about a decade and a half to now I can laugh about it. See, I'm laughing about it now. <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was horrible. I, I remember, Bethel share this, but I, I remember when we were first in our first year of marriage, um, we had an argument one time because um, I didn't think when she was making dinner, she made enough side dishes for dinner. <laughs> and we had like this thing going on. I was like, like, I would sit down to dinner and go like, this is cool. Where's the rest of it? <laughs> and, and, and Beth didn't understand that. And Beth, Beth reached out to my mom and she said, so like, what's the secret with this guy? Because there's all these weird sort of things going on. And, and, and my, my mom told my wife, she said, you know, the, the, reason, the reason I did extra side dishes is because, you know, Dale's the, the middle of three sons, and then I had their father. I was just trying to feed everybody. <laughs> we all bring expectations, and if we don't get the expectations right, it creates a lot of brokenness 
and a lot of stuff. And, and, and this is what Paul is doing here. Paul is, think with me about this. Now we're going to move out a little bit. Paul is unearthing what we see even yet today in our culture, that every relationship carries a, a, a power dynamic. There's a greater and there's a lesser of a perceived sort of distance and difference in every relationship. And I got to tell you guys, and you, you would agree with me, if you turn on the news, you see it every day in our news right now. What's going on in our culture? Our culture is pushing, if you will, against this kind of power dynamic that exists often in relationships. And, and, and many in our culture are saying, no more. This is, this is what's going on. Sometimes uh, those who write about relationships refer to it as uh, what they call a debt-debtor dynamic. And I was thinking about this, and, and, and uh, I've got $5 here, and um, let, let me just give this $5 to my wife. I probably owe it to her. <laughs> but here's the thing. If I give her $5, and, and, and think of it this way, and I, I give that to her, um, and everybody's looking. I don't say anything about it, but I just gave her the five dollars. Here's what you think: I just gave her five bucks. But now, but now, now, watch what happens. And this is what happens in relationships. Think with me about this. Imagine what you don't know is you saw me give her five dollars, but I owe her a hundred bucks. What just happened there? That it, it, cha- it changed. Something changed, that the relationship changed. She doesn't view it as a gift. Watch this, everyone. She views it as a payment. And, and watch this. She views it as a partial payment. So you, you saw me give her $5. Here's what Beth's saying. Where's the rest of it? And trust me, that's probably what she's saying. Think with me about this. Relationship experts tell us every one of our relationships, not just, not just husband and wife, boss-employee, uh, familial friend, family, work relationship, every relationship carries a certain kind of power associated. And Paul is going right at it. Now, here's what I want to tell you. And Paul is going right at it in such a masterful way, we can miss it if we don't notice. And I want to show you. I want to show you. This is, this is what makes Paul so brilliant. Paul starts in, in, with a text that when I read it, and, and you felt it in the room, when I read it, everybody was like, uh-huh, what? And so uh, for us to read that, it, we feel like, huh? When Paul said it in his day, it wasn't, huh, it was probably like this, duh. And watch this, I'll show you. It's verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to husbands is fitting in the Lord. And again, we go, huh? Paul's, Paul's audience went, well, duh, of course, of course. Why? Because women are property. Women have no rights. In Paul's day, a man could issue a certificate of divorce and, and it would, the relationship would, would be over. In Paul's day, a man could accuse a woman of a crime and didn't need even, even need any witnesses. He could just do it. Why? Because uh, the men were in charge. The men were the kings. 
And so Paul begins with a, with a sense of common understanding where everybody that was listening to that was going, well, of course. But then watch what he does, and we're going to see it very subtly in these next verses. We go over to verse 19, and notice what, what happens in verse 19. Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. What? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Somebody gets it. All right. <laughs> Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. But then look at this. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. You ever wonder why it doesn't mention mothers there? I mean, can't mothers embitter their children? The only reason he doesn't mention it, women had no power. It was only for the guys. Slaves, obey your masters in everything you do. Not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart, reverence for the Lord. We go down to verse 4-1. Look at what it says. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. One author I was reading from this week says it this way. Paul was addressing, listen to this, the household codes of his day, which only, always, only went in one direction. What the inferiors were obligated to do every time for the superiors. Paul understood that uh, trying to overthrow the Roman Empire's social order would have endangered the early Christian movement. So he subtly and quite profoundly adds a new element of reciprocity to every relationship. Here's what Paul's doing. He's taking the established social order of relationships, everybody, and he's turning it on its head. You and I are still feeling the impact of those powerful words to this very day. When you and I watch the news and somebody is pushing back against racial injustice and against the power dynamic structures of our world that are broken, you know where that came from? It came from the Apostle Paul. And do you ever wonder where he got it? I want to tell you. In the Gospel of John, we have one of the recorded uh, historical accounts of the life of Jesus, right? There are four. Say them with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is referred to as the non-synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of similar. There's some stories in there that are different, but kind of similar. John's very different. Scholars tell us this, that when John was writing his gospel, uh, almost uh, some say almost two-thirds of that gospel was, was actually just a transcript of what he was saying and what Jesus was doing and saying in the upper room. So when you read the Gospel of John, a lot of it is just, it's just like we're there. We're like eyewitnesses. I mean, if you ever wondered what Jesus was doing in, in the upper room with the disciples before he left that room, walked across the Kidron Valley, went down into the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed with drops of blood that kind of dropped from his forehead, was betrayed into the hands of evil men, crucified, dead, and buried. Third day rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. If you ever wonder what happened in there, you go read the Gospel of John. It's all in there. Almost two-thirds of it. But in the middle of this, uh, of this account, John writes that Jesus does something in the upper room that was really powerful. 
Uh, and, and here's how it goes. All of a sudden, uh, with the disciples in the upper room, he, he says this, and I'm going to show it to you. It's John 13, 34. Ready, go. He says, a new commandment I give you, he says. Love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. Now, let's pause for just a moment. It had already been a weird night for these guys. Think with me about this. Jesus takes a national religious holiday and he makes it about himself. He starts talking about death. Uh, if that's not weird, he says this very weird cryptic thing. He said, there's a betrayer among us. And the betrayer's gonna dip his hands in the same bowl I'm dipping my hands in. The, the, the account says Judas does that. Then what does Judas do? He immediately gets up and excuses himself to run an errand. What's he gonna do? He runs out. He goes and betrays Jesus into the hands of evil men. So this has already been a weird night. And if it's not weird enough, then, then Jesus all of a sudden out of nowhere goes, he goes, hey, guys, hold on. I want to offer a new commandment. And all the Jewish guys in the room freeze in that moment. And they're going, wait a minute, new, new commandment. Watch this. Only God does commandments. And he did them through Moses, by the way. There aren't any other commandments. What was Jesus actually saying in that moment? Here's what he was saying. He was saying, I am God. When, when you see me, Jesus was saying, you are looking at God in human flesh. That's what he's saying. So the, imagine, disciples trying to get their minds and hearts around that, and if that's not weird, then he takes it one step further. Here's the commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And in that moment, y'all, if we're, if we're adding, Jesus takes 613 Levitical laws and he crushes them into two. You know them. You can probably say it with me. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is a general relationship principle that applies to every self-identified follower of Jesus in the room. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're streaming, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, you get a pass. If, you say, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've invited him to forgive your sins, be your Lord and leader, your forgiver, your friend, that's the rule. You leave here, you love everybody. That's, that's the rule. And so, so this is a general relationship principle. And what we're noticing back to our text is Paul is taking that general principle and he's pushing it over into all these relationships. In a space where, you know, there, nobody had ever said anything, uh, uh, challenged a husband. Nobody, nobody had ever, uh, you know, uh, challenged a, a, a dad. Nobody certainly would ever challenge a master. And so what Paul is doing is he is taking the social order of the day and he is turning it on its head. And I just wonder, I'm just crazy enough to wonder, if all of us in this space left here today and we said, you know what? Game on. Game on. I'm going to do that. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm just going to love people. I'm going to love people I don't agree with. I'm going to love people I have strong disagreements with. Uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to take Jesus at his word. I'm gonna just going to start there. I, I wonder if we would do that. 
We had, we had a room a little more full than this at nine. Uh, we'll go halfway in at, at noon. I mean, what happened if we all did that? Can I be honest with everyone? It changed everything. It's still changing things. And when you and I watch the news and we are, we are offended by the injustice we see, can I tell you where you get the offense? Because God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has wired us to know intuitively how it actually should work. And, and you know the word? I'll give you the word. It's even. It's even. We all come to the cross. Even. We're all in this space. Ain't no power in here. It's even. And Jesus said, that very ethic lived out by his followers will change the world. And God still today is looking for people courageous enough to apply it with our spouses, to apply it with our kids, to apply it in our work relationships, to apply it to people very different from us. And when we do that, God will do what only God can do. And the only question we have in a space like this, my last one, will you let him do it? Will you let him do it? Lord, you use this space. You do what only you can do. Uh, use this moment to challenge us how we can apply this ethic that is still changing the world, that we would love people like you've loved us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray especially for anyone in this room or listening online who has been hurt by the power dynamic in a relationship. In whatever relationship that has been where there has been injustice, when there's been harm caused, sometimes even harm in the name of religion, God, would you bring your healing and would you bring a manifestation of your grace into the space, reminding all of us that, God, you are our healer, you are the one who offers hope, and you are the one who challenges all of us to go into this world and to love all people like you have loved us. This we pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Go in his grace and in his love. We'll see you next weekend.